Welcome to the San Antonio Baptist Association. You're listening to a Sabbath Talks podcast. This is our third podcast of how pastors and church leaders can sustain a disciple-making culture in the contemporary environment. In our first podcast, we defined the difference between the terms discipleship and disciple-making and discussed how pastors and church leaders can begin the process of leading their churches to develop a disciple-making culture in accordance with Jesus' model is found in the Bible. Last week, the focus of our discussion was how we can overcome the challenges that can sabotage the disciple-making process. Now, in this podcast, we're going to discuss the implications of a disciple-making culture for ministry in the contemporary environment. And gentlemen, thank you for your leadership and your insight and your wisdom, and we look forward to this time together today. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare our hearts for this time of discussion. Our gracious Heavenly Father and Lord, you who saves, redeems, and transforms us, we lift our prayer to you, especially in this time of crisis. And as we come together, we confess we are weak and easily distracted. But thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit who convicts, restores, teaches, and transforms us. As we conclude these podcasts, we are grateful for the wisdom and insight provided by Dr. Etheridge and Dr. Ogden. And my prayer is that even in the midst of these painful and difficult times, you would bless their families and their ministries because you're using them to encourage us to truly exemplify visible presence of Jesus as we take up our cross daily and follow you. So Lord, our prayer is that you would surround us about with others who are willing to journey with us as we stay focused on making and incorporating and experiencing that biblical mandate of disciple making. As our society rushes headlong towards destructions, may we stand firm giving ourselves fully to your work, knowing that our labor is not in vain. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dr. Etheridge, from your perspective, is there a direct connection between churches that are developing and sustaining the disciple-making culture and churches that are dying? And the reason I ask this question is I was on a, a Zoom call last week with a ministerial group of pastors, and they were sharing that um, what they see is two stages. The first stage of the COVID-19 crisis, he said, most of the churches made it through. But the second stage, there it seems like it's more desperate, more frustrating, and their fear is a great number of churches are going to close because they have not made any kind of transition to this new paradigm that we find ourselves in. So the question again, just to rephrase it again, from your perspective, can you see a direct connection between churches that have a sustained disciple-making culture and churches that are dying? Yes, absolutely. I think this COVID-19 crisis has really put a spotlight on the uh, desperate need of churches that do not have a disciple-making culture, in contrast to churches that have one and seem to be thriving during the midst of this pandemic. As I mentioned earlier, I was on a uh, 
previous podcasts, much like this one. And I said, it's almost like a pop quiz. Uh, no one saw this coming. No one could prepare for it. And in a moment, you were put to the test. Is what you're doing um, going to survive if you cannot meet on campus? Is what you're doing going to survive if, if you uh, can't gather on the weekends? Is what you're doing going to survive if you can't perform your programs? And so churches that were heavily facility dependent, program dependent, weekend dependent uh, have struggled. And we've seen that. Whereas churches that are more disciple making, not dependent on facilities, not dependent on program or on the weekend are thriving. And I think for those of us who've been preaching the disciple making gospel for a while, um, you know, we, we hate to see the crisis, but we're glad to see that it's become apparent now the important need for disciple-making culture uh, in a church. There's a large church in our area, I won't name it, but uh, it's kind of been known for all about the weekend, all about the the facility and so on. And they have really struggled during this time, especially as the crisis continues to linger on. Uh, But churches that seem to have a disciple-making culture are um, continuing to move through. I mean, we we saw financially our church being strong, more engagement in our community, more uh, connectivity of relationally, uh, more people continuing to make disciples. In fact, we just not even uh, had a, a much of a bump in the road. And uh, so I'm really thankful for that. But I think a lot of that comes down to before the crisis, were you building uh, the infrastructure of disciple making in your church or not. And uh, that's what we're seeing played out right now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that observation. Dr. Ogden, from your perspective, how do you see this uh, falling out or, or working out? I, I'm not sure if I have a whole lot more to add than what, what Craig has, has just said there. Um, just to reinforce the, the fact, and you know, I'm in a, a church now that is, I would say, in transition. We have a new pastor that is uh, much more committed to disciple making than our previous pastor. <laughs> and uh, the whole issue of breaking down into subunits and meeting in smaller gatherings um, that uh, has not been deeply in place. We have some of that uh, in our, our own ministry. Um, the other part of what, is, of course, is going on in our culture right now it has to do with the whole uh, raised consciousness around uh, race and uh, the African-American community. And I, I think we are taking the opportunity uh, to reach out beyond ourselves in terms of uh, within our neighboring area uh, to really build some relationships that have not been in place um, there as deeply as they should. Uh, so we're trying to say, okay, what's required of us as disciples uh, in the context of what we're being raised in terms of a consciousness about reaching out to people that are different from us and have a whole different life experience um, than we do. That's part of discipleship as well, is to be able to be empath- empathetic. I, I say of all the people uh, that should be able to try to step into somebody else's shoes, uh, it should be followers of Christ because Jesus stepped into our shoes in an amazing way, uh, embodied himself in flesh and took life from our perspective. Um, so now is a good time for us to reach beyond ourselves uh, into the African-American experience, for example, for those of us who are largely white, white churches. Um, just to say, help us see life from your perspective. Why is it that you experience things so differently than we do? Um, 
So I think, again, that's that's an opportunity for us to do that. And frankly, we have a pastor that's leading those bridge building opportunities uh, at this point. That may be getting into your salt and light question that is is coming up here shortly. Uh, and that uh, getting ahead of myself. But uh, I, I, I just affirm what Craig is saying. If you don't have an infrastructure built in terms of smaller units, it's going to be much more difficult to sustain yourself during this this particular time. And it's, it is a wake up call to say, listen, you know, the way we've been, we've been doing church has been so building centered, program centered, uh, pulpit centered. Um, and if that's the approach that you have taken, yeah, you are probably having some trouble right now. And Dr. Ogden, that's OK. It's a great segue into that question. You're right that uh, as you consider this, the short and long and long term effects of failing to make the transition. Uh, and how do you see that impacting the church's call to be salt and light? You know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 says, that's why we're here. We're to be the influencers, to be salt and light, so that when people see how we engage the community and them and other Christians, then they see God's name glorified. Amen. So uh, as you just go ahead and continue the thought that you started on, because I think it's great. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, salt and light. What, what makes for salt and light uh, for a church? Um, multiple things, obviously, in terms of the way we emulate uh, Jesus in our culture, whether that's a servant spirit that we were reaching out beyond ourselves, uh, whether we're standing for values that are core to biblical truth. Uh, I was, As I thought about this question, I was reminded of a book that was written about a generation ago. It was called Why Are Conservative Churches Growing? And you might remember that book. Uh, and it was basically all about the fact that uh, c- conservative churches, meaning theologically conservative, not necessarily politically or socially conservative. I think that was the core. And the theme was churches who are growing believe in something. <laughs> they, have a, they have a core uh, that is fundamental to their own faith. Obviously, the the, the deity of Christ, the authority of scripture um, that we're building our life on. And then as that lives itself out uh, in, in our own our own faith. And so uh, salt and light means to be what um, in, in this day and age in terms of the practicalities of things? Well, it means to to be biblical around the things that are core convictions in our own culture. So it's maybe not popular these days to to believe in the biblical view of marriage as meant one man and one woman. Um, but uh, that's what scripture teaches. And so uh, for those who are more liberal in our culture, that conservative position might rankle them. Uh, for those who are more conservative in our culture, the scripture also says, embrace the immigrant. Uh, all throughout the scriptures, it's, you know, be a friend of the stranger, the foreigner. Um, and that's such a central biblical theme. So to be salt and light is probably going to cut both directions in terms of people's political and social convictions if we're going to stay focused uh, on scriptural truth. And that's part of discipleship, living out the implications uh, of of that. So um, these social dimensions uh, are directly related to the gospel. They're not ancillary to, they're not additions to the gospel. They are the outworking of what the gospel is in terms of what it means to be salt in life and preserve, be preservatives in our culture or being uh, lights to a, a way of existence. And so 
That means that we're going to probably be offending people across the board <laughs> in terms of our, <laughs> our convictions. Hey, Dr. Etheridge, you're the pastor, First Baptist Church, Colleyville. You just heard Dr. Ogden share what he shared. Um, and so from your perspective as pastor of this family of faith, how, how do you see that uh, engagement with your church family? Yeah, these are these turbulent times are actually great opportunities to be salt and light. Uh, we found uh, our church was able to quickly mobilize into caring for the poor, feeding the hungry, donating blood, doing all those types of things to be um, a very tangible representation of God's love to the community and sharing the gospel along the way. Uh, also, with regard to racial reconciliation, I have a good friend of mine, Ronnie Goins, who's an African-American pastor in Arlington, which is uh, you know uh, in our metro area. And Ronnie is a disciple maker. He and I struck up a friendship years ago wrapped around disciple making and uh, he does a great job discipling men to lead their families and their homes and they even went to as far as to prayer walking certain parts of rough neighborhoods uh, playing basketball gathering people together sharing the gospel then getting men into discipleship groups and they actually saw a drop in crime and a, uh, and a trend toward help in those communities, all because he has a disciple-making approach. I think that's a great example of being salt and light in our immediate area with the lens of disciple-making. In fact, I sat down with him, and we shot an over-hour-long video called Race, the Gospel, and Disciple-Making. And here's a, a, a white pastor, a black pastor, having this conversation uh, about our experience and, and how the gospel is the one that what brings healing and restoration to our country and how disciple making is a key element in that. And so I think we have to take advantage of these uh, situations uh, as we go and say, man, this, these are, are during turbulent times, God always moves, right? Whenever you look at a miracle in the Bible, it's something bad is happening. And, and so God intervenes. And I think that um, we're, we're on the cusp of God intervening in incredible ways. I'm praying for spiritual awakening and revival uh, of our churches and our country uh, in the wake of this, uh, this crisis. Amen. I appreciate the things you guys are sharing. I, I guess we're going to take a little bit of a moment here. I'm just going to ask for a little bit of a review uh, just to make sure that the people who are joining in the podcast can kind of pull this together. So from Dr. Uh, Etheridge, again, from your perspective, what's the beginning place for a pastor now with this broader lens of also engaging the community, the beginning place for a pastor and church leaders, where, do, where does he need to begin to start the process? Well, I think you begin with yourself. Uh, you begin with the question, you know, do, am I truly walking with the Lord? Am I, am I cultivating an intimate personal walk with Jesus? Just because you're a pastor doesn't mean that you get a pass on that one. In fact, so many pastors we know that have fallen morally and in so many other ways is because they just eroded uh, underneath. I have, unfortunately, a, a friend of mine that... Um, uh, fell out of ministry recently, and he said, you know, I've gone over a year without really 
uh, hearing from the Lord in my own personal time. Everything looked great. I was preaching great sermons, but I was I was like a sinkhole. I was eroding underneath, and finally everything collapsed. So I think I would start there. How is your own personal walk with God? And then I would ask the question: Or do you have some lost people you're pursuing that uh, you you hope to share Jesus with? And then thirdly, are there any is there anybody in your life that you're personally discipling? You, you've got your triad, you have your a small group of three or four um, that you are investing in to train them how to walk with God and reach uh, people around them. I think that's where you start because it is it gives you the, uh, the moral authority uh, to lead a church to do that if you were doing it on your own. But if you do not model this, then people will see right through it. They'll say, yeah, pastor, that sounds really good, but you're not doing it. And they will just continue to move on down the line. So I think it, it, we said that, I believe, in our first podcast, but I just want to reiterate it, the importance of, of modeling uh, there. And then, of course, moving from that to developing a strategy for your church to move people from point A to point B, um, that, that they can easily take simple steps. You know, Greg, I think in the last podcast talked about it needs to be simple, easy to understand. You know, I have the spiritual gift of complexity. I can take something very simple and make it very complicated. <laughs> so uh, I, have to, I have to always run it through the grid of, is this simple enough that just the, just a person can, you know, at its face value, understand what they're asking me to do, and, and to make that step. We want to make it easy for them to get into relational communities, to get into groups where they're are going to be able to grow spiritually. So I think that's some of the leadership uh, heavy lifting that a pastor needs to do. But again, if he's not modeling it himself, then, then the rest of it will not really be well received. Yeah, thank you. Dr. Rogan, suggestions that you would provide? Yeah, well, again, uh, why don't you ask me first so I don't have to <laughs> repeat what Craig said? <laughs> uh, but very similar. Uh, of course, uh, taking care of one's own heart. Um, out of the, our heart flows the wellspring of life, right? And uh, if we are staying nurtured in the love and grace of God um, and coming out of our own sense of being adopted as a child of God, I think the core sense of our identity as believers, much less pastors, uh, is that we are the beloved child of God. And uh, if we are, stay in that kind of um, focus, I love what the father said to Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. And I hear him say it to me all the time because I'm included in Jesus. Um, you know, Greg, you are my son, marked and chosen by my love, the delight of my life. And when I live in that truth, um, then the wellspring is there in terms of the the heart. So cultivating that in my own quiet times, et cetera, uh, that's true for pastors as well. Uh, I would underscore what Greg is saying there. And uh, then uh, be laser focused on the mission. Um, the Get it into your gut that the mission is to go and make disciples. That's what our churches are to be about. Uh, and uh, do we really believe that? Uh, do we believe that to the extent that we are willing to clear away uh, everything else to make that central uh, to our being? Or are we just wanting to that, oh, let's talk about making disciples. And I, I think if you were to go to most pastors and they ask them, uh, what's what's the mission of church? Oh, make disciples, of course. Um, how are you doing that? <laughs> Silence. Uh, or um, 
well, we have Bible studies and we, you know, preach the gospel and uh, we do service in the community. And then, you know, it's kind of a hodgepodge of potpourri things that, uh, that we do, but there's no real clear approach. And, but the question is, how do you form people? How are people being formed in their faith? What's the way you're going about doing that? And um, to be repetitious here, uh, you know, again, we use that microgroup concept, the groups of three or four, as, a, as the formative setting, the transformative setting, uh, whereas people are growing in the faith as well as then being equipped to disciple others. So a replicatable model, uh, I think, is so important and, and valuable to that. And that is kept very simple. So the pastor himself has to lead that process. You cannot delegate disciple-making, as we said. Um, Jesus did not delegate disciple-making. He didn't say, turn to Peter and say, I'm putting you in charge of disciple-making. I'm going to go preach my sermons on the mount. Uh, no, Jesus <laughs> Jesus invested in those lives. That was the way that people were, were, were shaped uh, in, in that way. So you uh, must lead that process. Then engage your core, core leadership in it as well. If you're going to transform a culture, then... Your opinion makers, your 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 shapers, your influencers have to be doing the same thing as well. You have to be all on the same page. I know when I went to the church in Chicago that I pastored uh, a number of years ago, I spent about six months just praying about who my first three guys would be in my discipleship group. And the Lord kept leading me to our board of trustees. Uh, our board of trustees was kind of the management group of the church, you know, the financial guys, the facilities guys, the personnel guys. And they had a bad reputation being uh, kind of the, you know, the management people, but not really spiritual people. Uh, I, what I found out was there, there was a lot more depth of, of spirit there than people actually had, had an awareness of. So my first three guys in my group were three members of the board of trustees who happened to be basically our personnel committee, too. So uh, I was being evaluated <laughs> by them even as I was trying to lead them through a discipleship process. Um, but as I said to them, I, I may confess my sin here, but I got stuff on you guys as well. So be careful. <laughs> uh, so, you know, engaging your leadership core, making sure that they are the ones that are experiencing it and, and then um, laying it out there. And then uh, I would say then it has to be a, a very reproducible model that is easy to do. Um, so the leadership of a small group like that has to be accessible to the vast majority of people. And since it's small, you're having a conversation. It's easy, really easy to do. You're being trained to lead the group in the group. Uh, there's no separate special training program. Uh, so all these kind of things, keep it simple. Make sure it doesn't have such a heavy administrative weight to it that you have to hire a full-time person <laughs> to even make it ma manage it, uh, make it happen. Um, so those are the kind of things I would suggest. Yeah, and I appreciate, I think the one of the big takeaways for me, and I, I heard it in different ways, and I'm not so concerned about you being redundant because from my experience, redundancy is good because after a while, redundancy becomes habit. And after you develop the habit, then you just do it. And uh, so I, I appreciate the fact uh, that, you're not afraid to be redundant. But as I, I look at this, and I'm going to throw it back to you in a minute to kind of share one word of encouragement for pastors and church leaders. But here are the things that I really took away. Uh, keep it simple and reproducible and start focus on relationship. 
before you focus on the process and those things that you need to do, because those are biblical signposts that change is actually taking place in your life. You can call them spiritual disciplines, biblical signposts. I'm not so concerned about that term, but the idea is when I have this trust relationship with someone and we just love one another and we love the Lord together, then we go into the process of how do we encourage one another to move forward to put ourselves in the position for transformation by the Holy Spirit. And simpler is better. And the foundation is that relationship. Then comes the accountability. Then all of a sudden, it's not a drudgery. This is doing life. And I appreciate both of you said we're doing life together. Now we're doing life together. We're not just studying a book. We're not doing 25 weeks and say, thank you very much. Okay, what's next? Uh, No, we could probably start back at lesson one. You know, the first experience, let's do it again to see. uh, In fact, one of the young guys that you influenced a lot, Joshua Fuentes, who is one of the pastors in our association, um, one of the guys asked him, they said, okay, after we've done this, what what do we need to do next? Especially when we start our, our own little groups. And he said, would just do what we already did because when you do what we already did, you're going to realize that there's a whole lot much more stuff there than what you did the first time. And I said, that makes sense to me. It's very practical and is focused on the key is the relationship. So thank you very much. So as we wrap up these three podcasts, Dr. Etheridge, um, what's a word of encouragement and guidance that you think these, uh, pastors and church leaders are going to need to hear? Yeah, I think I'd like to just uh, reiterate the importance of creating this disciple-making culture and the implications of it with regard to being salt and light and affecting societal change. We kind of started off this podcast talking about that. Uh, I recently did a night of vision for our church, and I really talked about what we call gears of growth three gears of growth. And I actually had a sprocket kind of gear. And the first gear was make disciples in your church, that you've got to create a culture that helps people explore the claims of Christ, find, you know, connect with the local church, connect with Jesus, connect in their service, begin to grow in a small group, and then multiply their lives in the lives of others. That's what we've been talking about uh, for these last three podcasts. And that's really when that gear begins to turn, when that gear begins to be effective, then what it's going to do is turn some other gears. And the second gear is what we call love local in our community. Because now that you have growing disciples, they're going to be forced out in the community to show the gospel, to love people, to seek out racial reconciliation, and to affect a change in their community. And you can't see Jesus only discipling his men without forcing them out into areas where they never had gone before. A good Jewish boy would never go across the other side of the lake, or he would never go up to Syrophoenicia. He would never go into Samaria. But Jesus was always forcing them out into these other parts of the community to share the gospel and to be a reflection of God's love. So disciple making in our church leads to the gear, turning the gear of loving local in your community. And then once you do that well, then it's going to turn one more gear, and that is planting churches in your country and around the world. And my strong belief is if we are a disciple-making culture, 
that's getting out in our community and making a difference and sharing the gospel, that the natural next iteration is that uh, groups, people will multiply themselves, group will multiply themselves, and churches will multiply themselves. And so it will lead you to uh, a, a compelling conviction to make uh, plant churches uh, all over the world. And we're currently planting churches this next year in, in, in Jerusalem and in New York and in areas of our part of Texas, um, in Madrid, in Montreal, in Lusaka, Zambia. Uh, we're doing that. Why? Because it's just part of our disciple-making DNA. It's what we do. We invest, we multiply, we release to invest and multiply and release. And so when you lack that sprocket, that gear of disciple making, then churches don't really engage their community that much, or they do so kind of sporadically spotty, uh, but without really any purpose behind it. And they don't plant churches. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in the Baptist world, I think only 5% of Baptist churches ever plant another church. I think that's directly in connection with a lack of disciple making DNA. So I just want to kind of cast that bigger picture that man, when that disciple making gear starts turning, it's going to start turning other gears of community engagement and the gears of church planting that are really going to advance the kingdom of God uh, right where you are and around the world. Amen. All right. And Dr. Ogden, if what's uh, as you kind of pull this together, what the insights you would want to share? Well, let me end on, on this note. Um, I want all of them who are listening to this to think long-term. And that is what legacy do you want to leave behind? When you come to the end of your days, uh, what's going to really matter uh, at the end of the time? Um, as, as somebody said, probably most of us are not going to say, oh, I wish I spend more time at the office, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, what we're going to say is, who are we leaving behind? Now, let me quote uh, from uh, one that we all admire in this whole area of disciple making, Robert Coleman, from his book, Master Plan of Evangelism. Amen. But one must decide where he wants his ministry to count. In the momentary applause of popular recognition, splash pro programs, or in the reproduction of his life and a few chosen ones who will carry on his work after he is gone. Really, it is a question of which generation we are living for. So that longer term focus and uh, something I say at the towards the end of my book, Transforming Discipleship, I will quote myself here. Um, when we get to the shore's edge and know that there is a boat waiting for us to take us to the other side to be with Jesus, all that will truly matter is the names of family, friends, and others who are self-initiating reproducing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ because we made it the priority of our lives to walk with them towards maturity in Christ. Amen. So to think long-term, what's your, what's our investment? What's our legacy? Uh, it's, it's not about monuments to our name. It's not about putting money so that we have a name on our building. It's about the people with whom we've invested our lives. Amen. Dr. Etheridge and Dr. Ogden, again, thank you for taking the time to participate in and lead this discussion, these last three podcasts. Um, from my perspective, listening to you, uh, the challenges we are, are experiencing socially and culturally provides us a fantastic platform for Christians to be bold and courageous in our testimony. 
And as you've shared with us, the disciple-making culture equips the family of faith to engage society as the visible presence of Jesus. So thank you so very much for joining us. For those of you who have joined in on the podcast, you can contact me at San Antonio Baptist Association for additional information. Gentlemen, um, you've been a real blessing to me, and I know that you're going to be a blessing to other pastors uh, as uh, they view this uh, these podcasts. So thank you very much. The Lord bless you, and the Lord bless your ministries. Amen. Thank, you thank you very much. Good to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. Well, thank you. Craig, good to see you as well. Great to see you, Greg. God bless you, brother. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Sabbath Talks podcast. We look forward to continuing our conversation next time in hopes of better connecting, encouraging, and supporting churches for kingdom impact.